Our sermon this morning is Christ's triumphant entry into heaven. This week, Christendom is supposed to remember and to celebrate Ascension Day, the Victory Day of Jesus. The Victory Day of Jesus' triumphant entry into heaven. Now, Jesus' Victory Day, Ascension Day, is every bit as important as any other church holiday, such as Christmas or Easter or Pentecost. No Christian church would dream of not celebrating Christmas or Easter, but just take notice of how few Christian churches today remember and celebrate Ascension Day this week. Our godly forefathers understood this day's importance, but it's just another sad sign of how deeply Christendom today has fallen away from the proper understanding of Christendom and understanding of Scripture. <clears throat> now in America, when great war heroes, when they won great victories, they are welcomed home in America. They're often given a ticker tape parade in our largest city, New York. For example, when General Eisenhower returned from victoriously leading our armed forces in winning World War II, millions cheered for him as he rode victoriously through New York streets in an open car where billions and billions of paper, ticker tape, pieces of paper, rained down upon him from every window and every door of every skyscraper along the street, literally burying the street to show their appreciation to one of America's great leaders for World War II's victory. Yes, the millions of millions rejoicing was overwhelming, for great joy and unspeakable happiness broke out everywhere, for America's existential crisis was resolved, and a great national victory had been achieved. Yes, America honored their great war hero. Now, this type of victory parade happens often in many countries in world history. But there is one more victory parade that infinitely exceeds all the others. It was Jesus' triumphant entry into heaven. Never, never has there been a greater war fought. Never has there been a greater enemy, a more powerful and a more evil opponent. Never has there been a greater victory all done by one person. General Eisenhower led over 24 million soldiers in World War II. The soldiers did most of the actual fighting, and the honor of victory obviously belonged to the common soldiers, not to one man, not to one general. Eisenhower had never fired a shot, but Jesus' entire victory was fought by himself. One general, General Jesus. Jesus, who personally, individually, alone 
did all the fighting of this great spiritual war. Jesus did all the work, all the fighting. He led all the forces of good. And Jesus paid the full price himself. It was Jesus who personally delivered the death blow of war to Satan when he defeated death by putting death to death with his death. Now on Ascension Day, 40 days later, Jesus was welcomed back to his long home, heaven, by his Father. And what a joyful reunion that reunion was. That victory was. That was infinitely more than any earthly victory. After a 33-year absence, while fighting the spiritual war on earth, Jesus returned victoriously to heaven, to his Father. He had fully accomplished the mission he had received from his Father. Now was the victory. Yes, and we can read of some of this heavenly victory parade. Oh, the bridegroom's victory parade in the Psalter 58. Listen, ye gates, ye gates of heaven, ye gates, lift up your heads, the glad summons obey. Ye doors everlasting wide, open the way. The king of all glory, high honor awaits. The king of all glory, high honors awaits. The king of all glory shall enter in state. What king of all glory is this that you sing? The Lord, strong and mighty, the conquering kings. Yes, ye gates, lift up your heads, and his glad summons obey. Ye doors everlasting, wide open the way. The king of all glory, high honors awaits. The king of all glory shall enter in state. What king of all glory is this that you sing? Jehovah of hosts, he of glory is king. Come, let us read something of that great victory out of God's word. Let us pray then to be in the spirit that he sends his word into our heart today out of Psalm 59. Ye everlasting doors give way, lift up your heads, ye gates. For now, behold, to enter is the King of glory waits. Who is this glorious King that comes to declare his sovereign right? It is the Lord omnipotent, the King of kings, all conquering in his might. Yes, ye everlasting doors, give way, lift up your heads, ye gates, for now, behold, to enter in, the King of glory awaits. Who is this glorious King that comes to claim his rightful throne? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory, God alone. And our second scripture is Acts 1, verse 2 through 14. Until the day in which he was taken up, 
After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, has given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, ye have heard of me. For John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they to Jerusalem, and from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Althea, and Simon the Elatis, and Judas the brother of James. Assembled in that high room, that upper room, there they continued with all one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with him his brethren. Yes, thus far the reading of God's holy and infallible word about Ascension Day. Our sermon this morning is going to be about Jesus' triumphant entry into heaven's gates. Our first point is Jesus gave many earthly illustrations of this heavenly glory. Our second point is Jesus' heavenly victory parade. Our third point is Jesus sitting down at the right hand of God as the ever-living intercessor, ever interceding for his children. Now in our first point, Jesus gives many earthly illustrations of his heavenly entries. 
In history we can often read of earthly wars where countries across the world have a strong enemy such as we had at World War II with Eisenhower who were destroying their land. The king of that country sends his son to defeat this strong enemy to destroy those evil forces and to free his people from this evil. Yes, many times in history, history tells us of that happy ending when the king's son battles that evil one, destroys him, frees the people, liberates the land. Now, when this king's son returned home from the battlefield to celebrate this great victory, the king of that land held a victory celebration for the whole kingdom to honor his son's great victory. Yes, that earthly victory parade went up Main Street of the capital, leading directly up into the castle leading directly into the king's throne room. Lining all the street were all the loud, joyful, praising throngs of people who were saved, saved by the action of this victorious son of the king. Oh, those people were so thankful for the bravery and the victory of the king's son who saved them from a certain death, an existential crisis. Yes, this earthly king's son rode down the street in his great white horse, dressed in his glorious shining attire. As the crowd roared their approval and their adoration, in his right hand, he lifted up high for everyone to see the severed head of the king's enemy who he had defeated, who he had destroyed, who had so troubled and threatened the land. And the crowd lining the street roared their approval for the son's great and brave deeds, shouting at the top of their voices, rejoicing, in this great victory over their terrible enemy, which was going to destroy them. Yes, that earthly king's son threw open his clothes to show the crowd the many and the great wounds he had suffered in fighting and in conquering this great enemy. Yes, all the crowd could view his terrible wounds, seeing how vicious, how hard the battle had been, and how much the son had suffered greatly to gain this victory for his father's people. I just described an earthly victory parade of a king's son, but now we look at, we see Jesus' first triumphant entry. Forty days earlier when he rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. Oh, you remember that triumphant entry. 
Yes, he followed from the same path, coming down from the top of the Mount of Olives, down the side of that mountain, into the valley of Kidron, which flowed the brook Kidron, past Gethsemane, and up the sides of Mount Zion, through the eastern gate. The eastern gate is where the temple stood above the city. Now there were 12 gates in the city of Jerusalem, but the main gate and the most powerful gate was the eastern gate on the eastern side, where Jesus could look down from the top of the Mount of Olives through the eastern gate and directly into the temple. Yes, Jesus' triumphant entry was retracing that same route that he took when he had left the second temple 468 years earlier, there in the outer court of the temple. He cleansed the temple, whipping the money changers out, saying, You have made my father's house a house of merchandise. Now remember, most of those money changers were making money working for the Pharisees, whose hand had really employed them. The Pharisees' wrath against Jesus was increased even more when they saw the children waving their palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, rejoicing in adoration as Jesus rode into the temple, into his father's house. Now, in that first entry, the Pharisees tried to rebuke Jesus, telling him to rebuke the children for crying out the praises of Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, waving the palm branches. Then Jesus said, Oh, do you remember if these children did not speak the stones along the way would grow mouths and speak of my glory. The stones would shout out, Hosanna to the highest. Yes, this first entry into Jerusalem was an imitation of the triumphant entry Jesus made 40 days later into the heavens into heaven's gate on ascension day. Now we can read of Jesus' triumphant entry into heaven in scripture. Oh, try to create that picture. All of heaven is astir, stirred up, excited beyond measure. Another piece of the great puzzle and the great mystery of God was being fitted into place for them. The angels in heaven had never understood how that any sinful human, any sinful human nature could ever possibly enter heaven, which demanded perfection. Yes, the angels 
who are pictured on the Ark of the Covenant have an expression of amazement and puzzlement engrafted, carved in their faces as they look down into the holy law, demanding perfection past the mercy seat and see the holy demands of God of perfect holiness. But now with the entry of Jesus, the triumphant entry, the King of all kings, for now the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, covers the mercy seat. Now they see, and this portion of the miracle of God is fulfilled. Yes, the angels left behind in heaven are crowding the doorways into heaven, wanting to see this glorious scene to see this mystery of God fulfilled. Because for 33 years, Jesus had been missing from Trinity's throne in heaven. Now there was still his divine presence there, for in his Godhead, in Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is omnipresent, and therefore in that sense, Jesus never left heaven, but, but his personage has left heaven's throne 33 years earlier to descend into the womb of Mary and to assume a human nature in Mary's womb. No, Jesus did not become a new person on earth but he only assumed a human nature. At that time, then, only one angel, Gabriel, descended to earth to tell Mary of this great event which must happen to her. But at Jesus' birth, we read in Luke 2, verse 13, a host, a multitude of the millions of heavenly angels were gathered around the shepherds in the fields of Ephrata, praising God and shouting glory to the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Many angels, but now at his ascension, 33 years later, the host of much more angels advanced from heaven to meet Jesus, to greet Jesus, to lead him into heaven's gates. For we can read that as the disciples are gazing upward, a cloud takes Jesus away from the sight of all the watchers below. And this cloud is an innumerable host of white angels sent to escort Jesus further on the royal way into heaven's gates. But with the cloud now hiding Jesus, now human sight ends. And we must listen to God's word of what happens next. For when Jesus has ascended above that cloud of those 
heavenly witnesses, that mighty multitude of angels lined up on the royal way to the third heaven. It is a replica much greater of an earthly victory celebration. How this host of heaven shouted in exaltation, the trumpet blew, the choir of angels sang. All of heaven was astir, rejoicing. The son of all righteousness was entering in state. Yes, we can read the host of heaven consists of millions upon millions of angels, all white in their glory. We can read that all the inhabitants of heaven were stirred into unimaginable wonder and amazement. Something like this has never, never, never been seen before or whatever again. Never before had heaven seen a human nature assumed by the, the divine nature. Oh, yes, all inhabitants, heaven's inhabitants crowded each other trying to see this unspeakable sight. Yes, Jesus showed his wounds, the wounds he had suffered on the cross, the great wounds in his side, the lashings upon his back, the great wounds of what Satan has bruised his heel by. Yes, Jesus is parading into the gates of heaven. That holy thing, that holy thing is the only way to describe Jesus because all human words fail. How do you describe a God-man? And all of heaven's hosts feast their eyes sinking away in wonder and amazement as they hear the divine command come forth from God. Lift up ye gates, wide open the heavenly gates, for my Son of all glory is entering in state. Who is ascending up into heaven or descending? Who has gathered the wind in his fists who has bound the waters in a garment? He who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you can tell. Yes, Jesus was returning to his previous throne. The same Jesus. The same second person of the Trinity but difference in one sense that in 33 years ago he had assumed a human nature in Mary's womb, a God-man, amazing wonder, incalculable miracle, unfathomable work of God. For a body hast thou prepared for me was the work of the Trinity in the Council of Peace. 
long before God had created the world or the universe. The angels were created on the first day, so all the angels could only have worshipped him now for 4,000 years. Crying out to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, their mouths were continually speaking. But now, nothing like this has ever been seen before. Yes, all the hosts of heaven remember Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, actually leaving his throne of righteousness to enter into Mary's womb 33 years earlier. Where we said, for a body hast thou formed for me, were the words out of the council of peace made from the stillness of a never begun eternity long, long before the world was ever created. Yes, the whole Trinity, all three persons, had designed Jesus' body, his human nature that he would assume. In this way, the Trinity had made a way, a new and a living way, where lost sinners may be saved after Adam failed to fulfill the covenant of works. This did not come as a surprise. No, it was planned for. This new and living way, Jesus, the God-man, was the new head of the covenant of grace. And by his blood, he counted those clean and holy. Only because in God's sight, the blood of his son's sacrifice on the cross covered them, covered them completely. But now in this triumphant entry, Jesus is returning to heaven with something heaven has never seen before, a union of God with a human nature, a God-man. Our human nature will enter heaven and sit on the throne of God. Yes, the divine nature of Jesus had been assumed in this human nature in most mysterious way, but a true way with a human nature. Oh, imagine that incredible sight where human nature could enter heaven. For when man had sinned in the gate of Eden, in the garden of Eden, God had put him out the gate and pledged that flesh and blood would never, never enter heaven. But this was not that same flesh and blood. This was glorified flesh and blood. That same promise of transfiguration 
uh, that God promises to each of his children where he makes them, conforms them to his own image. No, there would not be a divine nature combined with a human nature in his children, only in him. But they would reap the benefits. Oh, you can imagine all the angels and the inhabitants of heaven swooned in awesome wonder and amazement. Yes, they had worshipped Jesus before he left heaven for 4,000 years. When he left 33 years ago and became the God-man, how different it was, but the same. Now this holy thing, for they knew not what else to call him, for divinity had never possessed a human nature before. But here it became evident before their adoring, rejoicing, praising, unbelieving eyes. A God-man entering heaven triumphantly. Oh, such a greater example, like the earthly king's son returning from the battlefield. Jesus, in that royal way, shows his wounds before all the adoring audience of heaven who lined the royal way, and how the walls of heaven must have rang with the high praises with the loud shouts and the glorious adoration of all of heaven's house. Yes, by the command of God, all the gates of heaven were wide open for this incredible miracle at God's command. Yes, heaven has high walls and closed gates, that prevents any sinner from entering in. Oh, let us take the shoes from off our feet, for now we trod on holy ground. As this new and living way, the God-man is entering heaven in state. The music and the singing and the thunder of heaven from a millions of mouths as he walks the golden royal street and approaches the throne room of the Trinity. <clears throat> yes, now the Son of God enters heaven's throne room. The Father rises from his throne and places his crown back upon Jesus' head and declares to all of heaven and of earth, those incredible words. All power in heaven and in earth is given to my son. <clears throat> now in our third point, what advantage is this that Jesus personage, this new and living way, this God-man is back in heaven sitting upon his throne? Yes, we seem 
God the Father has seated him at his right hand in the highest glory and given all power in the universe unto him who is indeed exercising that power for his children as their advocate right now, every second of every hour, of every day, of every year, Jesus is interceding for his children. Yes, for all believers, he is their advocate, our high priest in heaven, ever interceding. No, he does not have to shed his blood daily as the high priest in the temple on earth did. But Jesus shed his blood once and for all, and that was forever sufficient. This is that great advantage for God's people, that they have such a divine advocate, the God-man in the sacred courts of God, before the throne of God, pleading, interceding for them, and he will certainly gain their cause that they might be with him. Yes, he says, not one have I lost, O Father. Think about this. Is this not unfathomable? We must again take the shoes from off our feet, for we speak about holy ground, holy things, divine mysteries. Yes, we humans, we with our human nature, have our own human nature, our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge and as a certain promise that our head Jesus Christ is in heaven and he will certainly, certainly draw his body, the church, all believers up into heaven, into his presence because they are covered by his blood. Therefore, they are sanctified, becoming as holy as he is. For now the Father sees in every believer that blood covering of his Son. They are in Jesus. That blood covering his hell-worthy children. No, the Father cannot be angry at them anymore for their sins, because he has taken away all of his anger and wrath against sin. He has taken that all out upon his Son. God's justice against sin is satisfying. And remember, God always does justice. Because he always does justice, he cannot punish sin twice, once in his son and once in his children. No, 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 because that would be double jeopardy and injustice. 
Yes, in this God-man, by his stripes are believers healed. Everything is accomplished by Jesus' finished work in his passive and his active obedience. Here is the God-man, God's only begotten Son, whom he has said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Oh, do you sink away in wonder and amazement that Jesus, in his divine and his human nature, now, right now, sits on the right hand of God, ever interceding. Wondrous glory, amazing grace, what words can actually comprehend that praise? Yes, Jesus is there in heaven as our own flesh. On account of that mystical marriage, that all believers become one with him. They are his wife, and they are flesh of his flesh, and bone of his bones, we read in Ephesians 5, verse 30. Yes, all believers, their bridegroom and their husband and their head, will never, never suffer his beloved bride and wife to remain on earth, absent from heaven, absent from him. No, never. Oh, then is that not an infinite privilege that the God-man reigns in heaven and sits at God's right hand, that all believers may use that reality to comfort themselves and to comfort one another, that they shall also one day, after their life's journey here below, in this waste-howling wilderness of sin, in the school of Jesus Christ, is accomplished. They will be taken up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so ever be with the Lord. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, where Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, this precious promise is for all believers. It is a sure pledge. It is a foundational portion. It is an unspeakable treasure that God will not only welcome them into heaven because of his Son, but that his Son has prepared mansions in heaven for them. Now we must understand that heavenly mansions are not as we view mansions upon earth today. Today we have the mistaken view that these beautiful mansions are some glorious and beautiful house set apart, built with expensive decorations and lumber. No, 
Jesus prepared mansions in heaven. The mansions in heaven are far different than an earthly concept of some great glorious mansion sitting by itself, living in opulent riches. No, Jesus uses the illustration of the typical Jewish mansion. Yes, there were mansions in Jesus' day. He uses terms that all Jews would be familiar with. Yes, it goes like this. When a Jewish father has a son who marries a wife, then he builds an extension onto his house, a lean-to, we would say, an addition onto his house for his son's new wife and family. Now that new house or new mansion has one important feature. It is not only attached directly to his father's house. It also has a door that opens directly to the father's chambers that they can always go to that door, through that door and speak with their father forever. Yes, this is the type of mansion Jesus speaks about in heaven. Mansions built onto and around heaven's house of God. Not something separate, not something distant, not something far away. Nearness to God is what makes the habitation a habitation, a mansion of glory. Yes, all around heaven's house of God are mansions that all true believers will inhabit with a door of access directly to the Holy Father, to the courtroom. <clears throat> yes, another advantage of Jesus being in heaven in our human nature, sitting on the throne of God, not only that he is interceding, but he will send and did send the Holy Spirit as the comforter for all believers. Yes, we see, he says in John 16, verse 7, he says, if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of God. He is a seal and a promise of their right and their access to God. Whereby they are assured as a seal and as a promise of their right and access to Jesus and to all of heaven. Yes, by the Holy Spirit, God has sealed them in their hearts and given them the divine promise of the earnest of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit is here, working in you, cleansing you, sanctifying you, destroying that old nature. 
Yes, the sending of the Holy Spirit is the surest pledge that Jesus gives instead of his actual presence on earth. For Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Jesus is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is in the hearts of all of his people. The Holy Spirit sets this divine mark of Jesus upon our souls by working, as we said, in our hearts, cleansing and sanctifying our hearts, changing them by glory to greater glory, so that at their death they may be fully conformed into and after Jesus' image. Oh, do you know something of this Holy Spirit work in your heart, cleansing you, teaching you, instructing you, leading you? Do you know this difficult beatitude way by experience? For by doing it in this way, he assures them, bearing witness with their spirits, that they are the children of God. We see that in Romans 8, verse 16. Now the Holy Spirit in his role in our heart, he always directs believers to their Savior, Jesus Christ. To turn away from the earthly things that are here on earth, the unprofitable things of time and of sense, to instead focus upon heavenly things upon our God-man who has our nature sitting in heaven ever interceding. Oh, do you see what it means that our conversation is supposed to be in heaven, about heaven, 100% of all of our time with heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Yes, that's the demand of Jesus, that we mortify our flesh, bringing even all of our thoughts into the captivity of Jesus Christ. Oh, is this not another precious advantage of Jesus' ascension into heaven? For it is impossible that his believers should lose this right and this expectation. For now in this they have a double portion, a double insurance in heaven. For there they have their own human nature, their own flesh as a pledge. But also they have the Holy Spirit living within them as a seal in their souls as they press forward Press toward the high calling and the fulfillment of the great mystery of God. Yes, unfathomable wonder, a hell-worthy sinner in ourselves, instead of perishing forever. Now, because of Jesus' blood, counted worthy to enter heaven. 
Oh, an eternity of heaven shall never be able to fully reveal that great wonder. Oh, what a seal, what a promise, what a glory believers have in the ascended Jesus. In our human nature, ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God, ever interceding for us. Oh, if his blessing hands would fail, would fall for one moment, we would fail. But he never fails. For he ascended for the eternal welfare and the good of all believers to secure for them the greatest and the most precious advantages because of him as their advocate, because of Jesus who is the ever interceding one. Yes, day and night, 24-7, 365. And also, we may witness in the Holy Spirit working in believers' hearts, cleansing them, washing them, sanctifying them wider than the snow, that they may enter heaven without spot or wrinkle. Oh, may we shout out as the angels, Glory, 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 Lord God of hosts, for this ascension day. For all believers know experientially what it is to be near him by grace. But they also know the reality of their old nature, of their old sins that remain, and that causes so often they are often far from him. Oh, how often God's children, believers, must experientially weep or rejoice in proportion to his presence or in proportion to the lack of it. When was the last time he visited you, believer? Visited you in the brightness of his glory, in the light of his wisdom? When have you seen his face? When have you seen his smiles? For when he comes and visits them, they rejoice under the shadow of his wings. For it is good for them to draw near to God and to rejoice in the beauty of holiness, to delight under the apple tree of his delights. But, but there also comes times when he withdraws himself because of our backsliding, because of our sins, and he hides his glorious face. Oh, how then the believer's souls can be so troubled. Oh, listen to David lamenting often in the Psalms at the absence of God's face. Oh, why art thou so, thou so far from me, O Lord? When, when shall I see thy face again? Now, unbelievers know nothing of this experiential reality. They have never tasted of Jesus' divine sweetness, that honey of heaven, because their eyes have never been enlightened by the Holy Spirit, 
They know nothing of what it means to be near or to be far from Jesus. Why? Why is because God had sent them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Yes, there are often Christians, counterfeit Christians, that draw near to God with their mouths and honor him with their lips, singing his praise. But God says, their lips, they praise me, but their hearts are far from him. We see that in Isaiah 29. Yes, these worldly wise professors are indeed of the world. They speak of the world. They serve the world. The world hears them. They serve the God of this world. Oh, let that not be named of us. A counterfeit Christian shall meet a closed door at heaven. Yes, the Holy Spirit through Paul describes such counterfeit Christian citizens. Even though they may have the name of Christian, even though they may do great works, even though they may walk in Christian paths, even though they may speak of his glory, not my word. God's word says their end is destruction. Their end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things instead of heavenly things. Oh, let us look honestly in the mirror today at ourselves and try to discover by the litmus test of Scripture, whether we are true Christians or counterfeit Christians, whether we are partakers of Christ's ascension, and whether we have our human nature in heaven interceding for us, whether we have a good reason to glory in him, Oh, if you do not have these beatitude features in you of the Holy Spirit, of repentance, of believing on the Son of God, of the joyful mortification of your sin, of fleeing from the world, oh, then I must warn you, then you have no advantage, no advantage of Jesus' ascension on this ascension day into heaven's courts. For Jesus is not your head. He is not your husband. He is not your bridegroom. You are without his spirit. And at the end of your life, unless he may yet by grace send repentance, Jesus will not take you up to him to be in those heavenly mansions, but you shall meet a closed, locked door, and you shall hear his voice say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you.
Oh, let us pray that none of us may hear that condemning voice. For Jesus loudly demands of you and me that today, today when you hear my voice, you harden not your hearts. He warns us earnestly in Scripture, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Jesus Christ's blood. And then, and then all those other things shall be added to you. Yes, God demands of all believers that they must exercise violence, violence, violence daily, striving to enter into heaven. Yes, daily violence against sin, self, and Satan striving under the surface of Jesus' shed blood. Yes, that is scriptural. For Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 12, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Oh, how gloriously the Father seated him on his throne at his right hand. Oh, on Ascension Day, how the angels shouted out again, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, how the souls of all the redeemed already in heaven, these saints rose up from their thrones they had been given and fell down before Jesus, casting their crowns from their heads, and cried out to one another with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb which was slain <clears throat> to receive all power and all riches and all wisdom and all strength and all honor and glory and all blessings. <clears throat> and yes, how it behooves all believers to be united with him, that you may proclaim his glory with rejoicing to the uttermost. Yes, the great congregation of God already in heaven does this in heaven, in the divine banqueting hall. Oh, their faces are beaming, from the glory that from Jesus' face is streaming, each competing to cry out the loudest, Glory, 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 Lord God of hosts. Yes, believers, do not lament that you do not see him on earth anymore, that ascension day has taken place nor should you desire to do so. He will come again at the second coming. Then we shall be like him. Here on earth, God would have you to live by faith, to have your eyes lifted up unto spiritual things, for his kingdom is spiritual. Yes, it is to your advantage, believer, to your glory, to your great advantage, 
that Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior, has descended up from you in such a glorious and illustrious manner as he has done on Ascension Day. That we, which we read in Scripture for this morning, Behold, he is never absent from his children. He does never depart from you according to his Godhead, his majesty, his glory, and his spirit. He is with you always, believer, even unto the end of the earth. We see that in Matthew 8, 28, verse 20. Yes, there in heaven, he is the ever-interceding one that all believers may unburden themselves to do to him. Praying from this waste, howling wilderness, in the midst of this great affliction, fighting that good fight against the triple-headed enemy, sin, self, and Satan. Oh, yes, then do you see what an infinite blessing it is to be able to speak to him, to pray to him, to intercede with him who always hears prayer and will always intercede with that prayer to the Father of all mercies. Oh, we sinful dust who are comparatively far lower than the worms of the dust. What an unspeakable privilege. We may yet speak to him who is high and exceedingly lofty only because of his shed blood covering us, covering our sins. There we may come before his great white throne of mercy to plead our case to pray and lay our petitions before him continually, him who always hears. And yes, even when sin does overtake us, when we backslide, we have a sure promise. He has it. We have a sure advocate in heaven, one who is greater than our sins. Yes, how often, believers, are we not guilty of not praying to him enough? How often we are guilty trying to do it in our own way. Oh, he loves to hear the prayer of believers. He loves to pray and intercede for believers all those whom he has redeemed. He ever lives for that purpose. He ever lives to make intercession for his children. Yes, there at God's right hand, he prays for you. He intercedes for you. There he rebukes all your enemies, lifts you from the tribulation, binds Satan, and gives you a tongue and a heart that you may plead earnestly for yourselves, for your children, and yes, for all the brothers and sisters, the inhabitants of the earth, 
for they are our brothers and sisters. Yes, though we have our human nature still in us, and many earthly inclinations still exist to this last day and the last hour of our lives, we have an advocate in heaven, the God-man, the God-man, who is greater than our sins and can wash them away with his blood. Yes, Luther said, there is enough blood, power and enough efficacy in the blood of Jesus Christ. If it were possible, if it were necessary to wash away the sins of all the people who could possibly live on a thousand earths, if there was such a thing. Oh, we know there is not. There is but this earth. But he has the capacity. Oh, let us plead his blood. Yes, do you see then it is your duty, believer, you who have received the Spirit of God to seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. You have a duty to set your affections on things above, not dealing with all the things of the earth of time and of sense. For as a Christian, as a believer, you are dead to the world. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Yes, let everyone who names the name of God mortify our flesh. And let our souls be detached from all and withdraw from all the visible things of time and of sense and lust of the earthly things. Oh, surrender. Today, repent. Today, devote yourselves to those things only that are in heaven. Oh, that we might meditate on them day and night with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, directing all of our desires, all of our attention toward him, our advocate, who is in heaven as the God-man, on this ascension day. Oh, do you see why the heavens rejoiced as God commanded? Lift up your hands, lift up ye gates, and be ye lifted up. The King of glory shall come in. Psalm 24, verse 7. Oh, for every believer, we may have a lifted up Jesus Christ, that God-man. And how doubly sweet will your sorrows once become when they are revealed with him in glory and covered by his blood. What an infinitely glorious prospect that will be, believer, when you shall be taken up in the sight of all your and all the Lord's enemies, lifted up into the clouds to meet the Lord, in the air, and so shall forever be with the Lord. Oh, do you see why Ascension Day can be called a forgotten 
church holiday, every bit as important as Christmas and Easter, yet how few churches, how few ministers celebrate this glorious, glorious, glorious day. It is so forgotten in Christendom that Dr. Barna doesn't even list it as one of the things that Christians miss. Bonhoeffer, the martyr of World War II, he saw the significance of this victory day of ascension. He saw already in New York in the 1930s, he could scarcely find a church that preached the full gospel of Jesus Christ. But so many counterfeit churches he could find. Oh, our godly forefathers knew its significance. How lamentable it is that if they could come alive today and see Christendom, a Christendom that does not celebrate this important church holiday of Ascension Day with thunder condemnation upon us. How far Christendom has fallen for on this Ascension Day, his victory was final. It was proclaimed by the Trinity. Now, subjectively, much work still needs to be done. The last saint is not yet saved. But we are 2,000 years closer since Ascension Day, the first. We are 6,000 years closer today than we were when the Trinity proclaimed this day in Genesis 3, verse 15. Oh, when we can see God is hyper-exceedingly angry at Christendom today. We have so many ways forsaken his word and his testimonies. We have abandoned Christendom's orthodoxy. And God is sending plagues upon us time and again. Two years ago, I spoke about how when the COVID-19 plague came upon America, this was God's hand upon us because of our sins, and he's calling us to repentance. Uh, but I said that God may send more plagues. And indeed, over the last two years, look how many plagues have come down upon us because we continue in our sin. We have not yet repented. Oh, let this day not pass by that we bow before the great white throne of grace, before this God-man, pleading for his intercessory blood at the right hand of God the Father. Amen.